of the world is within you. Sacred and worthy is your soul. A place has been made for you. Welcome to the First Unitarian Society of Denver podcast. Thank you for joining us on this journey of the mind, the heart, and the spirit. You may also visit us on the web at fusden.org or find us on Facebook. This week's selections come from First Unitarian's online service held October 4th, 2020. The title is A Scripture of Flesh and Blood. The homily is by Reverend Mike Moran. Good morning, First Unitarian. So before we begin, I want to let you know that uh, starting this coming Thursday, we're going to be doing another five-session series on sacred texts and sacred conversations. Uh, and we're doing that again because the last series was just really terrific. So um, just like last time, we will run for five weeks. It's open to any and to all. If you'd like to have, get more information uh, or sign up or be part of that, uh, sacred text, some sacred conversation um, series that we're going to do in the month of October. Send me an email. There's more information in the first announce that came out in uh, last Thursday. Our call to worship this morning by the great American poet Walt Whitman. This was written in the preface to his classic book of poetry, Leaves of Grass. He wrote, this is what you shall do. Love the earth and the sun and the animals despise riches, give alms to everyone that asks, stand up for the stupid and crazy, devote your income and labor to others, hate tyrants, argue not concerning God, have patience and indulgence toward the people, take off your hat to nothing known or unknown or to any man or number of men, go freely with powerful uneducated persons and with the young, and with the mothers of families. Re-examine all you have been told in school or church or in any book and dismiss whatever insults your soul. And your very flesh shall be a great poem and have the richest fluency, not only in its words, but in the silent lines of lips and face, and between the lashes of your eyes, and in every motion and joint of your body. Welcome to worship today. Good morning. I'd like to hold up some joys and concerns in our First Unitarian community. Jack Doucette had heart surgery that went well, and his prognosis is good. Liz Case had cataract surgery with some minor complications, she is recovering at home. Charlie Burrell turned 100 years old. What a milestone. Congratulations, Charlie, and thanks for all the beautiful music from your beautiful soul. In ourselves and in the world, we hold up anxieties around the contentious debate, election overload, we hold up those who are affected by the terrible wildfires ravaging our country and all those who have lost friends and family to COVID-19. By way of a prayer, I'd like to read Felt Sense Prayer, author unknown. 
I am the pain in your head, the knot in your stomach, the unspoken grief in your smile. I'm your high blood pressure, your fear of challenge, your lack of trust. I'm your hot flashes, your fragile low back, your agitation and your fatigue. You tend to disown me, suppress me, ignore me, inflate me, coddle me, condemn me. You usually want me to go away immediately, to disappear, just back into obscurity. More times than not, I'm only the most recent notes of a long symphony, the most evident branches of roots that have been challenged for seasons. So I implore you. I am a messenger with good news, as disturbing as I can be at times. I am wanting to guide you back to those tender places in yourself, the place where you can hold yourself with compassion and honesty. I may ask you to alter your diet, get more sleep, exercise regularly, breathe more consciously. I might encourage you to seek a vaster reality and worry less about the day-to-day -day fluctuations of life. I may ask you to explore the bonds and the wounds of your relationship. Wherever I lead you, my hope is that you will realize that success will not be measured by my eradication, but by the shift in the internal landscape from which I emerge. I am your friend, not your enemy. I belong. I have no desire to bring pain and suffering into your life. I'm simply tugging at your sleeve. I desire for you to allow me to speak to you in a way that enlivens your higher instincts for self-care. You are being so vast, so complex, with amazing capacities for self-regulation and healing. Let me be one of the harbingers that lead you to the mysterious core of your being, where insight and wisdom are naturally available when called upon with a sincere heart. So to uh, get where I think I'm going this morning, I think we should start with a little good old fashioned Unitarian Emersonian theology. 1838, Reverend Ralph Waldo Emerson, a Unitarian minister, gave the address at the graduating class of the Harvard Divinity School. And in that address, he articulated some of the core propositions or ideas behind what became or was at that time known as American transcendentalism. Now, if you're not familiar with that term, transcendentalism refers to the belief that the divine, God, the mystery at the heart of the universe, whatever language you want to use for that, the divine permeates everything, every molecule, every process, every thought, every distant star. Transcendentalism at that time was partially 
in reaction to another movement that was happening at the time, which was known as rationalism, and which to the transcendentalists appeared to be an enormous waste of time, especially as rationalism was applied to scripture, the Bible, and religion. Transcendentalists would say, don't go looking for God in the ossified texts of some book of the Bible or any other book. Books and languages and words and traditions, all of these are human creations and must, by definition, therefore, be still further removed from the source, that is, from God. Transcendentalists said, you want to know God? You want to know the Creator? Look to creation. Look to creation itself. Study the forests and the skies. Study astronomy and insects. Study microbes and the seasons. Want to experience the divine? Take a deep breath and feel how your body was made to experience pleasure and pain, ecstasy and wonder, grief and even death. Feel how you're breathing, your eating, your drinking, your work, your love, your hands. Every tiny sensation of your magnificent body is part and parcel of, intimately, literally, physically connected to, and every sensation demonstrates the interdependence, the inescapable interrelatedness of everything. Star stuff. That's a Carl Sagan phrase, not a Ralph Waldo Emerson phrase. But the idea is similar. Nature itself as the holiest of possible scriptures. It's a beautiful thing. So I've been reading about bodies and minds and where feelings come from and how our nervous systems are wired. And I've no idea how or when, but somehow in my upbringing and education in this culture, I was taught or learned to assume that the brain essentially controls the body, takes in information from the senses, makes decisions, and then directs the muscles and organs to do their thing in response. Well, it turns out that's an old model, and modern science has kind of flipped the scale on how we should think about this. And in fact, it's the other way around. That is, the body, yours and mine, perceives the environment, taking in something like, estimated, 10 gigabytes of information per second, most of which never makes it to consciousness, of course, and in taking in this information generates astonishingly complex autonomic reactions. If not predetermining what we end up thinking, at least predetermining the conditions, the parameters, the tone and the mood, the emotional expectations within which our thinking will finally take place. And we're almost entirely unaware that this is how it's working all the time or how sensitive our bodies are to our environments. I read a study, I read about a study in the Netherlands where they were running 
simulations for SWAT teams in training, and they found they could raise or lower the frequency with which a policeman in training would draw a weapon and fire it by raising or lowering the temperature in the room. I read about another study that had participants draw cards from four decks in a game that balanced high risks and rewards. The decks were rigged so that two of the four decks created low risks with low rewards, depending on how you drew your cards, and would ultimately lead to a win. The other two decks were rigged to create high risks and, and uh, sometimes high rewards, but would ultimately lead to a loss. Turns out, on average, it took a given subject about 40 draws of cards to figure out which deck was which. But because the subjects were being monitored and measured for autonomic responses to stress, it was determined that their bodies needed only about 10 draws of cards to determine which decks were which. Interesting. I read about a study showing that about 20% of organ transplant patients report not just health changes, but personality and mood changes after, their, uh, after integrating someone else's organ into their body system. And it's pretty well established now, though the exact reasons remain a little unclear, that even bacterial replacement therapy, where they replace unhealthy bacteria in your gut and your intestines and bowels with healthy bacteria will bring about not just a healthier gut, but mood changes and behavior changes. That's fascinating. And it's well known, and it makes perfect sense that when humans from around the world with different cultures or from different cultures and languages are compared, we find that although cultural interpretations of feelings, bodily feelings, varies widely in languages, and there's, there are even words for emotions in some languages that don't even exist in other languages, what we find is that every human on earth functions in remarkably similar ways in terms of the feelings themselves, in terms of how they respond bodily to threats or to pleasure or to illness or to sex or to fear or the pleasure of taking a hot shower. I think about all the times when I've had, and I bet you've had these feelings too, some um, good or bad feeling about something that turned out to be prescient. And how often our bodies, in their own wisdom, so often know the answer to complex moral or relational situations long before our minds are ready to process what those answers will mean. Turns out our bodies are a poetic and literal mirror of the natural world we live in exquisitely interconnected webs of actions and reaction causes and effects, balances, and delicate equilibria. So I've been thinking about a quote from Eckhart Tolle that I recently came across. He said, feeling will get you closer to the truth of who you are than thinking. Feeling will get you closer to the truth of who you are than feeling, than thinking, sorry. And I can't help feeling 
that much of this modern science about the bodies, about the body, is proving this to be true. It's interesting also, I think, that some of this stuff mirrors ancient spiritual wisdom. Mythologically, symbolically, at least, in Christianity, God comes to earth in the form of a human body. And that way God gets to experience life incarnate. And again, in this mythic symbolic sense, this personalizes an abstract divinity. In the Christian story, God knows bodily suffering firsthand, as it were. God knows love and sacrifice and hunger and suffering because God has experienced those things, just like you and me. It's interesting, if it's even a little perverse, that medieval monks and nuns and priests used to practice self-flagellation in the Dark Ages, and not because they thought their bodies were sinful and deserved punishment, that's a, that's a Hollywood interpretation, uh, but because they felt, there's actually a whole bunch of theology behind this, they felt that by experiencing pain, really focusing on the pain, giving themselves over to it, all the nuances to, of it, that would bring them closer to Jesus on the cross. They felt that if they could be their pain, they could also be his pain and join him in a kind of a spiritual union. There's far less perverse examples, of course. In the early 16th century, a Franciscan, Bernard, Bernardino de Laredo, who passed for a physician in his time, remembering that in Genesis, the first man was created in the image of God, wrote a mystical text describing in great detail how God manifests in the human body, how the inner workings and the, the very geometry and the symmetry and the uh, structure of the human body and the organs within were a kind of living interpretive key to a mystical theology of Christ. So why are we talking about all this in a Unitarian Universalist congregation? We're talking about that because there are banners on the wall behind me and over across from me that proclaim some of our core propositions, like there's a unity that makes us one. And all souls are sacred and worthy. And salvation in this life, um, because what we're learning about the mind-body system in this modern age and the interdependence of that system with all the other mind bodies out there and with our environment and with the mind and uh, with the environment that our mind bodies find themselves in, all of that rather demonstrates that these banners are not just platitudes, but shorthand for profound physical and spiritual truths. Truths that have repercussions and profound implications for how we are called to be in this world, how we are called to respond to each other, how we are called to even be with ourselves and with the planet that sustains us. It's a beautiful thing. I'm going to close this. We've just scratched the surface, but I'm going to close this uh, with some wisdom from the Sufi poet Rumi. One night a man was calling out, Allah, Allah, 
His lips grew sweet with the praising. Until a cynic said, So, I've heard you calling out, but have you ever gotten the response? The man had no answer to that. He quit praying, and he fell into a confused sleep. He dreamed he saw Kadir, a guide of souls in a thick green foliage. Why did you stop praising? Because I never heard anything back. The longing you express is the return message. The grief you cry out from draws you toward union. Your pure sadness that wants help is the secret cup. Listen to the moan of a dog for its master. That whining is the connection. There are love dogs no one knows the name of. Give your life to be one of them. Amen. Behind all our differences and beneath our diversity, there is a unity that makes us one and binds us forever together throughout all time, through life and death and the space between the stars, throughout all time, through life and death and the space between the stars. We have come to our benediction today. You know, in a round world, what goes around comes around. Circles and cycles of stars, seasons of growth and decay, birth and death and unexpected resurrection. You and I and we are inextricably linked, forever connected to everything that was or is, or ever will be. Amen. Thank you for being with us today.